Well, somebody say praise the Lord. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. So I don't forget to tell you this. You are going to have revival. You are going to, and I'll just give you one sign that is so obvious to me. Is your sound men are worshipers. (laughs) Bottom line. It's so unique. I preach in a lot of churches. And I had to take a video of those guys back there playing popcorn for Jesus. And I mean it. If they're worshiping, you're going to have revival. You can't help but have it. Something for Jesus. You want Jesus to do something for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I would be amiss to to not recognize uh, you call them Bishop, uh, Bishop and Sister Arthur, Arthur. What a blessing they have been to the United Pentecostal Church. And to our churches in Hawaii. And I, I can speak for our district. They bless our entire district. But the churches that I pastor, they also blessed. Our ministry team, they were such a blessing. And through the years, we have uh, grown to respect and honor them. And you're blessed to have them as part of this church. Would you show them you appreciate it? And they are welcome to come back. <laughs> Often. Amen. Hallelujah. Then your pastor, uh, actually, I think we probably met here on Hoosier soil, but uh, it was years ago uh, working with Brother Kilgore. You were there, uh, working there, and then uh, I was there in and I uh, worked with Brother Kilgore for seven years. And uh, then your brother was there for years. And it's been a privilege of mine to, to uh, be around the Ar- Arthur family. And you're blessed to have them. Amen. Amen. You're blessed to have the authors as your pastor and wife. Would you show them you love them, their family? Come on, let's, let's let them know you love. Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. If I didn't say another word, if you got that, you're going to have revival. Everything you'll do will be blessed because you honor your pastor. You hear his prophets, you honor God, you're going to have revival. 
Somebody say, praise the Lord. Look at somebody and say, I want it. Also, I'd be out of order for me not to recognize my two-year uglier brother, uh, older brother. I've enjoyed the last several weeks uh, him investing in my future. I, uh, everything that my wife and I and our family have had, we've invested in the work of God in Hawaii. Kind of ignored the fact that I'm getting a little older and needed to make sure that I prepare for the future. You know, one day I'm going to have to step out and young vision's going to have to step in. And I don't want to be a burden to the ministry that's going to take the work that we've put blood, sweat, and tears in. And so my brother has helped me to get into a house there to Help us secure some future. Amen? Amen? And so that's the plan of God, the will of God. And I appreciate his investment. And then my niece, Megan, what a blessing it is. Thank you for just embracing her, loving her. Amen. Megan, I'm so excited to be here tonight. Amen. 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 We love Megan and her family, her husband, and all of her, all of her crew. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, I pray tonight that what I give you is a blessing and not a messing. I'm good at making messes, but I believe tonight uh, God's going to let us leave with a blessing. Amen. We landed in Hawaii and. I moved there from Hong Kong where your bishop and pastor are very familiar with Hong Kong. Uh, in 11 months, we had over 300 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was an incredible experience. I cannot take credit for that. I have to be honest with you. The church was ready for revival. I stepped into another man's labor and God poured out his spirit. I, I, I'm kind of guy I want to be candid with you. <laughs> you know, some people just say, you know, I went to Hong Kong and had 300 receive the Holy Ghost, and you think it was them. <laughs> it was not me. I just happened to be there. And, uh, and so we uh, landed in Hawaii, and I thought, surely the same thing's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to Hawaii, and, and uh, we started our church, and, and I was uh, preaching to... My beautiful wife, two little girls, and I, you know, I want to preach to sinners. So I, I prepared to preach to sinners. I guess they are sinners. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'd preach my socks off just like they were going to split the pit. I'd give an altar call. Come and get saved. <laughs> and people started trickling in. But you know, I, I didn't have an office. I, I didn't have uh, a place, a church. I, we didn't have really anything except for everybody needs a pastor. And Brother Kilgore called me and said, 
If you leave the islands, you're out of the will of God. And so I figured I want to be in the will of God. The next morning he called and he said, Brother Jonathan, I'm sending you $500 a month for you to start a church. And if you don't do it, I'll swim the ocean and do it myself. I didn't think he needed to be swimming the ocean. But $500 a month in Hawaii does not go very far. And so I stayed and uh, we started our church. Um, and so I started going to, to Starbucks. Now, y'all drink coffee around here? You can't go to heaven if you don't drink coffee. Now, I believe Jesus would drink coffee. You got the Holy. <laughs> and so I, I, I started going to Starbucks Starbucks needs Jesus I mean Starbucks really needs Jesus well I went there to study because at the house you got the honey do list and when you got little ones you got the daddy do list and when you got two little ones you got the daddy do do list and then when three or the third one oof. And so I, I, would, I, I went to Starbucks and I opened my Bible and I was sitting there and I began to read and pray and prepare. You know, when, when you're looking in the face of sinners, it's easy to prepare to preach to sinners. And the first night I was at Starbucks, a young man walked up to me and he looked down at my table and he said, what are you reading? I looked up at him and I smiled at him and I said, my Bible and he said you know I never understood that and David was my very first Bible study and in three years I taught over 500 Bible studies in that one Starbucks and God poured out his spirit in Starbucks amen so uh, as over a process of time and I can't really say that I came up with this but just kind of evolved to this, I would go into Starbucks and I would begin to pray. Now I heard the word boldness at the beginning of this service and I felt like I need to share this at that point and it's, it's just through this entire service I felt like I needed to share this. Look at somebody and point at me and say if he can teach a Bible study, go ahead and point at me, it's okay, I, I'm not offended. I can teach a Bible study. Now look at somebody else and point at me and say, if he can teach a Bible study, anybody can teach a Bible study. Now that was offensive. No. And so I would go into Starbucks and I would, I would begin to pray for every person that walked in. I was working 40 to 60 hours a week and I, my job was not making enough money to even pay my rent. And so I would still go to Starbucks. And sometimes I would fall asleep. After working all those hours, I'd go to Starbucks. I'd begin to pray for people. And the baristas would wake me up. Oh, oh, pastor, I, I hope you had a nice nap. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. And, and so I, I just, I, I would try to stay awake. And, and, uh, but I was in the harvest. You know, if you want to know somebody, you're going to show up where they hang out. 
If you want to know that beautiful girl, you're going to show up where that beautiful girl hangs out. Amen? If you want to know Jesus, you're going to show up where Jesus hangs out. And where does Jesus hang out? He hangs out in the harvest. I said he hangs out in the harvest. And so I would fall asleep in the harvest, not intentionally, but I was at least in the harvest. And I began to pray for people and I would just describe the individual. Everything God already knew about them. I'd just start telling God. I'd look at their shoes and say, God, you see their shoes? And I'd describe the color and God, they, and their clothes. And I'd get to their face and I'd let my imagination go. And I'd just try to imagine what page their life was on. And I'd just, God, you see God? And I, sometimes I'd say they're grieving. They look so weary, God, they're grieving. And one lady walked in and she was on crutches. And uh, she, she hobbled in and. She gets in line, and there's a couple people in front of, of her, and she's looking at the menu, and she, I'm praying for her this whole time. And she glances over at me and looks back at the menu and, and glances over at me, and, and I said, God, she's grieving. And when I said she's grieving, she looked over at me and started crying. Now, I know I'm ugly. had no idea I was that ugly. But she starts crying, and then she, she finally gets up to order, and she keeps looking at me and crying. And so I, finally she gets her coffee. She hobbles over to the condiment stand. She's putting cream and sugar in it, pull it spilling her coffee, looking at me, crying, spilling coffee, spilling cream, everything all over. And finally she just left her coffee at the condiment stand, and she hobbles over to me, and she says, You're a waterfall. You're a waterfall. There's such peace and joy coming out of you. I want what you've got. Now, I've been called a lot of things, but never a waterfall. I taught Lindsay a Bible study, baptized Lindsay in Jesus' name. Lindsay received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So I'm sitting there another day, and, and I'm praying for Every person that walks in. And a man walks in. I'd never seen him before. He was obviously a military man by his haircut. Well, anyway. Yeah, I'm looking around seeing military haircuts all over the place. I better be careful. And so I, uh, he... He gets in line. He, he was on a mission to get his coffee. You, you know people like that? It's like, get out of my way. And so he, he walks in and he just looks at the menu. When he walks in the door, I, I'm praying for him. He looks up at the menu and I said, God, he's searching for truth. Now when I'm praying for people, I'm not making a scene. Oh God, you know, don't do that. I'm just praying under my breath. I'm just, I'm just praying under my breath. You know, I, you can talk in tongues and nobody know you're talking in tongues. 
And so when I hit that he is searching for truth, that dude's head popped around and looked at me like that. He glanced back at the menu, never ordered his coffee, stormed out of that line, came straight over to me and stuck his finger in my face. He said, preacher, very loudly, God told me you have a word for me. What's the word, preacher? That's all, folks. What do you say? Word. What do you do? So, so I introduced myself. I said, my name's Jonathan. And he said, he's David. And I said, I have seven scriptures that'll change your life. Would you read them? And very loudly he said, sure. So, I opened my little Bible. First scripture. All of sin come short of the glory of God. I looked at David and I said, David, what does that say to you? Look at somebody and say, what does that say to you? You can do the same thing I did. That's all I did. What does that say to you? He said, everybody's a sinner. (laughs) Yes, that's true. In my mind, I'm thinking that's true, but they probably don't want to hear that right now. (laughs) So I'm quiet. I didn't argue with him, didn't disagree with him. I didn't say a word. I just looked at him. And then he points his finger back in my face. And he says, you're a sinner. Yeah, but please don't tell everybody. That's embarrassing. Some dude telling you you're a sinner in front of everybody in Starbucks. I I didn't say anything. I just looked at him. And it, it seemed like two minutes went by. It was probably 30 seconds. He drops his eyes in his head and as loud as he told everybody I was a sinner and they were sinners he said I'm a sinner and you could feel the presence of God sweep into that Starbucks the next scripture the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life I said David what does that say to you look at some man and say that what does that say to you you can do the same thing I did He said, if I sin, I will die. But God wants to give me eternal life. And he starts personalizing. Next scripture. Except you repent, ye shall likewise perish. David, what does that say to you? David said, if I don't repent, I'm going to die. By the time I finished the seven scriptures, David fell onto his hands and knees, repenting out loud. You know, you know, it's like he's crying, tears dropping on the carpet, and I'm like, please, God, hurry up and forgive him. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm embarrassed. The dude is repenting, and I'm like. It seemed like he repented 20 minutes. I mean, God, what took so long? But to make it worse, he throws his hands up in the air and starts speaking in other tongues as God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I took 
David and baptize David in Jesus' name. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Look at somebody and say, if he can teach a Bible study, anybody can teach a Bible study. Now, let me just tell you, give you the rest of the story on that. This is why I think Jesus would drink coffee. Number one, it says Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews. But husbands, don't forget, it says Hebrews, not Shebrews. So if you expect your coffee... No, the real reason, the real reason is I didn't see David for six months. He was a chef in the Marines and he was uh, on, on a Navy ship with the Admiral and he was cooking for the Admiral. He was gone. I didn't see him. He visited our church after that a few times and then disappeared. And two preachers came over and said, we want to see you do it. So I took them to Starbucks. They wanted to see how I get these Bible studies and do all this stuff. And so I took them to Starbucks to show them and, and try to show them, you know. It's just pray. I mean, it's pretty simple. And so I, I'm standing there. And you know when preachers get together, they argue over who's going to pay for the coffee. And so I argued with them who's going to pay for the coffee. I'll give you the rest of the scriptures later. Is that okay? You were telling me that? Yeah, I know. Okay. And so uh, I argued with them. And I said, you're in my house. I pay for the coffee at my house. And they said, but we invited you and asked you to die. No, but you're in my house. And I won. So I get to pay for the coffee. Rats. <laughs> they order the most expensive stuff. I ordered my $1.95 cup of coffee at that time. And they ordered the most, Brother, Brother Arthur, the most expensive coffee, that $6 stuff. Ridiculous. And I, had, I just won the argument. You know, if somebody else is paying for your stuff, be nice to them. So I, I ordered my coffee and the lady turned to, to get my coffee because they had to wait for theirs, you know. And so I'm, she's getting my coffee. and I'm just, I don't have my wallet. There's no cash. I just argued with these guys. I'm, I won and now I'm going to be embarrassed. And before that lady turned around with my coffee, I turned to tell these guys, hey, I, and when I said, hey, in the door of Starbucks comes David, hadn't seen him for at least six months, yelling, Pastor Starbucks! <laughs> and he makes his way through the crowd and he gives me a hug and shakes my hand and says, whispers, as whisper as he can in my ear and said hadn't had a chance to pay my tithes and gave me cash in time for me to turn and pay for my coffee now you tell two preachers witnessed it you tell me that Jesus wouldn't drink coffee I taught a Japanese girl named Manami in Starbucks, a Bible study. Japanese girl. I didn't have a Japanese Bible. She didn't speak very little English. 
I don't speak any Japanese but sushi and natto. And yeah, wasabi, sashimi. I know a lot of the food, but I don't speak the language. I eat the food. And so I, I taught Manami about, I didn't have a Japanese Bible. But I had a Chinese Bible. So I took a Chinese Bible, taught a Japanese girl a Bible study. You hear that? That's amazing. I acted out the Bible. She took her little pocket translator and the words that we couldn't figure out, she tried to figure them out on a translator and I tried to act them out. But I baptized Manami in Jesus' name. Manami received the Holy Ghost. As she learned English, she began to interpret for us and we sent 35 Japanese Japan filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You look at somebody and tell them if he can teach a Bible study, I can teach a Bible study. God has done some incredible things in Hawaii. We were, uh, we were there for a year and a half. And uh, after the year and a half, our church was growing and things were happening. I had over 50 people at Starbucks that called me their pastor. And that was exciting, but they'd never come to my church. <laughs> so if you counted Starbucks, <laughs> did I serve coffee? Good idea. Anyway, uh, and so uh, if you count Starbucks, I got another church. But I, uh, a year and a half into it, uh, we became homeless. And my girls say, Dad, don't say homeless. Say houseless. I said, what? They said, Dad, we had a home. We just didn't have a house to put it in. And for a year and a half, we didn't have a house to live in. My girls, I'm not telling you this is a sob story. I want to encourage you tonight. My girls had a tub and a backpack, each of them. Now we had a three-year-old, almost four. We had a six-year-old. And we had a one-year-old. Not she, When we started it, she wasn't quite one. And we didn't have a house to put our family in. So my daughter had taught a Bible study to a 10-year-old girl. Now, my oldest daughter, Alexis, to a 10-year-old girl. That 10-year-old girl received the Holy Ghost in her bedroom. Came down the steps speaking in other tongues to a Baptist mom and dad. The Baptist mom and dad were property managers. And a year and a half after we became houseless, she opened a home to us. Now, I had told God that if we don't have a house, an address where we can send our kids to school from, that we're just going to take it as if it's a sign for us to leave. I wasn't packing to leave because we were already packed. <laughs> 
But we moved into that house two days before school started. Now, I'm not telling you this for you to feel sorry for me. I'm telling you this for a reason because sometimes the challenges that we face, we bitter against. Let me tell you why I'm telling you this. Two weeks later, we had 35 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We baptized Miss Hawaii 2003 in Jesus' name and she received the Holy Ghost. Nine MMA fighters received the Holy Ghost. I was at, at the big mall there, uh, Alamoana Mall, and they had a, a, a television uh, uh, interview going on with 18 fighters. I'm standing there with a trainer looking down over Alamoana Mall onto the stage and all the televisions are going and nine fighters lift up their hands, head and looked at me, raised the shaka sign and yelled almost simultaneously, Hey, pasta! And yelled pastor at me. <laughs> Don't bitter yourself against the time when you feel like you're dying because Paul said, when death was working in me, life is working in you. God is doing something incredible. Amen. Amen. So don't feel sorry for us. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Thank God I have an incredible wife and, and incredible kids. But God was doing something that was unbelievable. Amen. I was in a, in a restaurant one time. And I was with this preacher. Got his act together. Kind of like your pastor. You know, they got the A, B, C's, and D's, and I'm trying to find my Q, Z, F. I can't, I, I'm not organized. I mean, I know your pastor. I understand that. But I, I'm, a, I'm with the guy who can put his message out and it's just incredible. And he can go back and refer to it 20 years later and he knows exactly when he, where he, what he, everything. And so we're sitting there with dinner and I'm a soul winner. And so I'm sitting there with, at dinner, my wife and I and his wife and, and our families and, and there's a, a, a couple sitting there with their, their children and, and I just do what I do. I pray for people and just in my mind, I start praying for them, and it hit me. I got to talk to them. I have to talk to them. I told my wife, I said, babe, I got to go talk to them. Babe, we're at dinner. I said, but I have to talk to them. So, I, you know, sometimes you can't figure out what to do to say, what to, how, how to approach people. Anybody been there? Well, I'm there all the time. And so I, I get up, and, and I... I go to the bathroom, even though I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just went to the bathroom, trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to, when I get back there, how am I going to talk to them. So I get back to the table, and their table was right here, and my table was right here, and I'm standing right here, and I couldn't think of absolutely, Megan, I couldn't think of anything to say, anything to do. You know, when you're, when you're in that situation, put it in reverse. And I bumped into their table, and anything come out of my mouth is going to come out of my mouth. And all I could, all that came out was, "Excuse me, my, you have a beautiful family." 
I just bumped into their table accidentally on purpose. I sat there with them. I prayed with them. We ended up teaching them a Bible study, baptizing them in Jesus' name. They received the Holy Ghost and went to Japan as missionaries. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Look at somebody say, if he can teach a Bible study, I can teach a Bible study. I was in a second-hand store. Jesus had shopped at second-hand stores too. So I was in a second-hand store. Saw these guys with their head wrapped. Afghanis. Man, I got to talk to them. I don't speak their language. I don't know. All the intimidation that everybody deals with, I, I'm going through it. The wrestling, I, just not worth it. You know, I'll go home and learn Afghani, whatever the language is, and I'll come back and hopefully they'll still be here. <laughs> you know, you got all the excuses. And so I'm, I'm in line, and they are now right behind me. And I can't think of anything to say, so just put it in reverse. <laughs> I backed up and bumped into them accidentally on purpose. Ended up, I went to their home. They brushed the floor with a hairbrush. I sat on the floor, and I ate their food. I taught them a Bible study and baptized the Afghanis in Jesus' name. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. If I can teach a Bible study, anybody can teach a Bible study. We were privileged to be missionaries in the Middle East. And while we were there, we, uh, we would shop in one particular. We lived in Amman, Jordan. While we were there, we shop in one particular vegetable stand. And they would gather our vegetables for us. Now, that's interesting. You have to tell them what you want. And they go get it. But if they don't speak English and you don't speak Arabic, it's very interesting experience. Have you ever tried to act out a carrot? How do you tell somebody you want a carrot? Stand up, stand on your head, you know, redhead. What? I, yeah, I don't. So here. I mean, you just get to try a lot of things you wouldn't normally try this way. Yeah. Because sometimes you got what you wanted and sometimes you got what he thought you wanted. And so this guy named Adel regularly gathered our, our groceries. Over the process of time, I caught on to what he was saying. He caught on to a little bit of what I was saying. He wanted me to teach him English. Now, it was very struggled conversation. And I, in my mind, I thought, I am not here to teach English. And then it hit me. They used to teach English out of the Bible. Well. So we had Adel come to our home. My wife fixed a little meal for us. And, and then we went to the living room. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to teach him English out of the Bible. Well, I know enough about the English Bible to know Genesis is in the front of the book. So I took an Arabic Bible, laid it beside the English Bible, turned to Genesis 1 in the English Bible, but the Arabic Bible, they read backwards, so Genesis had to be in the back of the book. So we turned, I hope, to Genesis. I'm pretty sure to Genesis 1 in the Arabic Bible. I read creation in English. He reads creation, I think, in Arabic. And then I act out creation. 
I'm telling you, I was like a nut, man. I shook, there was a rubber tree, just kind of like that. Over there. I shook that tree and I said, God created the tree. I beat on the floor. He created the earth. Little flies took flowers. I mean, I created the world in our living room in front of that guy. I'm, you ever felt silly? Well, it dawned on me. He's a Muslim. <laughs> he thinks he believes in the God of Abraham. Confused. He thinks he believes in the God of Abraham. He does believe in creation. How am I going to let him know who the creator is? Well, John will let us know that. So I know enough about my Bible to know John's in the middle to the back of the book. So in his Bible, it had to be in the middle of the front. So I turned to John, the first chapter in the English Bible, and I have no idea but I hope he turned to John the first chapter in the Arabic Bible. I read, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And I read all that in English. And then I think, hope, he read it in Arabic. But how in the world do you act that out? I could not, Brother Arthur, I couldn't think of a thing to do. And so literally, I was going to stand and act out absolutely nothing. I just was, whatever come to my mind to try to do it, so here I go. And I had my hands like this with nothing to do in my mind, nothing to do. He jumps out of his seat, grabs both of my forearms, tears running down his face. He said, you love my religion, no love. You love me. I gave Adel the Bible. That was the end of the Bible study. Adel left. Went back to the vegetable stand. I never got to see Adel again. To this day, I've never seen him. But six months to a year later, I received a letter in the mail. And it was written on ruled paper with pencil. Still have the letter. This is what it says in a nutshell. To Jonathan, the best friend that I ever had because you introduced me to Jesus. Adol fled to, what I found out was Adol fled to Egypt. I never got to teach him about baptism in Jesus' name. I never got to see him receive the Holy Ghost. But when Adol got to Egypt, Adol ran into our missionary, Moklis Sedra. Moklis Sedra baptized Adol in Jesus' name. And about six years ago, Brother Reed came to me and said, our missionary to Jordan, Brother Reed, came to me and said, did you teach a young man by the name of Adel a Bible study? I said, yes, I did. He said, well, he just got his license to preach with the United Pentecostal Church. Look at somebody and tell him if he can teach a Bible study, I can teach a Bible study. Had a lady, a Muslim lady, my wife and I were in the house and knock on our door. This lady was covered and when she, we opened the door, she said, I saw Jesus in the Quran. I want to be baptized in his name. I thought, I'm being set up. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I said to her, who told you I would baptize you? And she tried to explain who, said, who sent her to us and we never figured it out. But I sent my wife to the different doors that are around the house making sure nobody's hidden around the corner. You know, I could get in pretty serious trouble by baptizing her. And so finally, we 
felt at peace to invite her into our home, so we invited her into our home, and I thought, well, I'll teach her a Bible study. I asked her a question. I said, have you ever read the Bible? She said, I read it in university. So I taught her about repentance. She says, I've done that. I taught her about baptism. She said, I want that. I taught her about receiving the Holy Ghost. She says, I, I have that. I was speaking in other tongues. She said, I have that. I'm like, Jesus in the Quran, and you got the Holy Ghost. So after a few minutes of discussion with my wife and her, we thought, well, let's baptize her. She comes out of that water speaking in other, in other tongues. We'll know she's got the Holy Ghost. So we opened the staircase where our hidden baptismal tank was. We filled it with water and we took Miriam down in the water in Jesus' name. When she came out of the water, she was speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Say, praise the Lord. She came out of the water speaking in other tongues. Well, the next service she comes to church and nobody will sit by her. And I'm upset, like they're prejudiced. I mean, I, I'm getting ready to peel their ears. If you're prejudiced, you ain't going to heaven. And I don't, I don't, period. Because red, yellow, black, white, pink, and polka dot is going to be there. That means I, polka dot, that's me. And so... So they won't sit by her. In fact, they took their stuff that was right beside her and moved it across the room. And then somebody come up to me and said, Pastor, do you know who she is? I said, yes, I know who she is. And walk away. I'm like, oh my goodness. I was losing my Holy Ghost. <laughs> so Nabil Ashkar walked up to me. Three or four people. And then here comes Nabil. Nabil Ashkar walks up to me and he said, Pastor, do you know who she is? By this time I'm fresh. I said, yes, Nabil, I know who she is. I taught her a Bible study. We baptized her in Jesus' name. And she has the Holy Ghost. And he says, you what? I said, I said, I baptized her in Jesus' name and she has the Holy Ghost. He said, do you realize she will be put to death and you could be? Okay, okay. Come to find out she was the granddaughter of the founder of Islamic Brotherhood. I'm like, oh. After the service she came up to me and they, they told me why they didn't want to sit by her because when I got to Jordan, I raised all the shades and I put a speaker in the window so when my wife would sing, the whole neighborhood would hear. And when I would preach, they had to listen about Jesus. Yeah, I know, I'm crazy. And so with the windows open and the granddaughter of the founder of Islamic Brotherhood sitting there, they didn't want to take the chance of her getting shot at and them hitting her or them. So she comes up to me and she says, I want to tell my husband and my family. I'm like, oh. You see, they keep it in the family, so her husband is a grandson of the founder of Islamic Brotherhood. 
So I said, well, I'll tell you what. You take your husband alone. And I said, you, you tell him. I saw Jesus in the Quran. I was baptized in his name. And I'm a Christian. So they went to the family house where the whole family lives. And she did. Now when she left, the whole week I'm pacing the floor thinking, okay, somebody's going to shoot me. They're going to stab me in the back. And I'm nervous. But Sunday came. And here she comes. She's alive! And she walks in. And I said, Miriam, how, how did it go? And she smiles. And she said, I told my husband, I saw Jesus in the Quran. I was baptized in his name, and I'm a Christian. Well, what did he say? He stuck his finger in my face, and he said, I know it, and you take my children to that church. Today, Miriam and her husband and her children are all baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Look at somebody and tell them, if he can teach a Bible study, I can teach a Bible study. I know I've taken some time tonight on this. It's not just me. We've had over 150 this year receive the Holy Ghost. Our prison ministry, our church is called The Rock. Our prison ministry is called The Jailhouse Rock. We've had over 100 receive the Holy Ghost at The Jailhouse Rock. 29 the first night. 29, the first night, received the Holy Ghost. And on the first night, a man who, when he became incarcerated, he had already a bad leg. And when he received the Holy Ghost, God healed his leg, and the entire prison and guards saw it and witnessed it. Now, it was the ministry going in, and now, you know what's happening? The prisoners are praying each other through to the Holy Ghost. We're getting ready. The warden has put together a choir. This is unheard of. As far as we know, it's never happened anywhere. The warden has put together a choir and is going to bring the prisoners to our church to sing. They get to invite their wives, their children. They get to invite their moms and their dads, their families. Our church is going to serve them. I believe there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I was just home uh, for uh, almost two weeks and and just got back from this trip. So last week, actually I heard about it this week. As of within from last Sunday to today. The state has called us asking us to go into the correct youth correctional facilities. Boys and girls, they've called us asking us to go into the middle school and the high schools. Not just on our island, but on all of the islands they want the rock in the high schools and the middle schools we didn't pursue that they approached us God is doing something 
in a very liberal, ungodly state, the state is saying, you're making a difference and we need what you got. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let me just tell you something. I'm going to be honest with you. None of that happened because of Jonathan Sanders. It's because there's men and women, Pastor Arthur, that have laid down their vision, and your daddy has met them. They laid down their vision to see the vision that their pastor has fulfilled. There's ministry teams, men and women that have a call of God on their life that said, you know what, I'm going to sell out for the vision that my pastor and his family has. Go ahead and clap your hands. I have not been one time to that prison. And a guy who can barely speak, Brother Superintendent, the tall African-American guy, Brother Superintendent, he's the guy who, who, who does our prison. Others help him, but he's the guy who does it. He can hardly speak English. If he can teach a Bible study, anybody can teach a Bible study. It's because he laid down his own personal wants and desires to see the vision that God has given to his pastor and leadership fulfilled. Let me tell you something. You're going to have revival because you're going to be willing to lay down what you want for what he wants. Go ahead and clap your hands. You ought to get excited about that. I said you ought to get excited about that. I wish I could say that I was the one that prayed 150 through the Holy Ghost. They prayed this week six through the Holy Ghost and baptized 15. I'm not even there. Why? Because they laid down their own wants for what God wants. And I was talking to your pastor and I Spoke a few minutes today about it. When, when Jacob crossed over the Jordan, the Bible says he was, it was him and his staff. That's it. Now I know that it wasn't a staff of people. But what is a staff? It's something that you can lean on. Something that you can rely on. And when he crossed over the river of Jordan, the only thing he had was he and his staff. But he had something trustworthy to lean on. Something trustworthy to rely on. Listen to what I'm telling you. If you want to have revival, you better become a staff rather than a stick. Anybody can be just a stick. You got to be a staff. Somebody your pastor can rely on. Somebody he can trust. Come on, lift your hands. Say, God, make me a staff. 
listen to what happened. Later, you see, the same scripture. But when he returned, he didn't come back with just his staff. He came back with his staff and a whole army. That would have never happened had he not had something to rely on, something he could trust. If you want to have this building filled with people, you want to have revival and have to start looking for expansion, you know what you're going to do? You're going to become a staff. Somebody that you can, that your pastor, that your God can rely on. And when Jacob is dying, you know where you see Jacob? He's blessing his sons, leaning on his staff, still relying on the staff. I know it's not talking about people, but people are the things that we have got to rely on. I mean, Jesus had multitudes of sticks following him. And they enjoyed miracles. I mean, they experienced the things of God, but they were just sticks. In fact, some of them were just following him for the loaves and the fishes. They were just sticks. When he said some hard things, they bailed on him. And all he had was 12 staffs. Am I making sense? Look at somebody and say, I want to be a staff. Somebody my pastor can rely on. Somebody my pastor's wife can rely on. Come on, I want to be a staff. Somebody they can trust. Somebody's going to be there. When the journey's rough and and it's a hard road, I want to be a staff. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is leaving. He had 12 staffs. 500 staffs were with him up there on the mountain, at least. 120 of them stayed in the upper room, staffs. The 12 staffs he entrusted the kingdom to. And they turned the world upside down because 12 men said, I want him to be able to rely and trust me. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Yeah, it's exciting what's happening. We... We recently had, maybe you heard about this. It's gotten out a whole lot of different ways, but since I was present and she was our youth pastor, I can tell you exactly what happened. (laughs) 27-year-old little black girl. She's like my daughter, Sharina. She was born with a lung and a half. The doctor said she would not live until she was 12 years old. Now she's 27. She's our youth minister. We're in service. My son-in-law is there. And and, uh, after the first service, we have multiple services. Don't we? (laughs) We set up and tear down seven times a week. That's fun. Pay over $10,000 a month rents. 
for five two-hour services a week. That's fun. We still have a church. And so we're in service in Honolulu, and after the service, Serena thinks she's having an asthma attack. It's pretty serious. So she, on the way to the second service, she stops in and she goes to the hospital. To make a long story short, they discovered that her uh, right, her left lung, which was the half lung, had completely died. And so on Thursday, they told her we need to have an emergency surgery. Well, Thursday night, she comes to church. And I just said, Serena, wouldn't it be awesome for God to give you a brand new lung? That's all I said. And then one of the men in our church, he just walks up during altar call. He had no idea that anything was wrong with Serena. He walks up to her, lays his hands on her and said, God, touch her from the top of her head to the sole of her feet. And if you have to, stop in the middle and do whatever you got to do. That's all he said. Had no idea what was going on. Sunday comes. She told the doctors, wait till Monday so my mother can get here before we have the surgery. Sunday comes. My son-in-law goes over to Serena and says, do something you know you can't do. And, oh, that's my church in Hawaii. I'm supposed to be talking to them right now. Sorry about that. They texted me a few minutes ago, are you in service? I said, yes, but I think they thought I'd already be out. Anyway, <laughs> they know I'm long-winded. Anyway, <laughs> I preach the everlasting gospel. Um, <laughs> so my son-in-law said to Serena, Serena, do, just do something you know you can't do. And, and Serena, Serena couldn't think of anything. And, he said, jump. Well, when he said jump, she said, not on your life, in her mind. I'm not going to jump. I'll pass out, make a scene. You'll haul me out in the ambulance. This is all going through her little spunky little girl. Spunky. I mean, she's very small, and she's spunky. And she says in her mind, I'm not doing that. And then he walks away from her, comes back, says, Shereen, do something you know you can't do. Jump. She says, I'm not doing that. Then the Lord spoke to her and said, try me. So she jumped, tried him. And man, that little girl, let me tell you something. White boy cannot dance. Serena, she got, she got the moves. She cut a rug all over the place. With a dead lung. And so uh, after the service, she felt this burning in her her in her abdomen area and she's, she, it scares her and she says uh, all through the second service again and then through the night on Sunday night she couldn't sleep because of this burning and scared her and she said God if you if this is not of you take it away if it's you finish the work so she goes in on Monday with her mother and the doctor connects her to a, a functionality machine and that functionality machine is going to show the doctor and her mother why she has to have 
this lung surgery. And so uh, he says, listen to the right side and you'll hear fully functional lung. Okay, now listen to the left side and you will hear nothing. And the mother says, sounds the same to me. The doctor says, something's wrong with the machine. <laughs> so he restarts the machine. Now listen to the right side. You'll hear fully functional. Now listen to the left side. You'll hear nothing. Sounds the same to me. He looked at it and said, something's wrong with this machine. It's reading 85% functionality. Her mother said, well, that's impossible. She's never had more than 50% of the lung. He says, he says, let me restart this machine again. And the third time, 86%. He looks at Serena and said, Serena, what did you do? Did you overdose? Serena said, doctor, if I'd overdosed, I wouldn't be standing here. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He said, all I know about this Jesus, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. He says, doctor, that's the problem. It's Jesus. And, and she preached one God to him. So he said, all right, Shireen, I'm going to schedule an appointment to go into your lung with a camera. And so they schedule an appointment to go into the lung with a camera. He, she gets dressed, leaves the doctor, goes out to the, uh, as she's leaving the doctor's office, the doctor runs out and catches her and said, Sharina, I cannot let you leave. I, I have to have another doctor look at you. What? He says, this is serious, Serena. I have to have, before you leave, I have to have another doctor look at you. She went back in. She got undressed, reconnected to the machine. And the, doc, the second doctor said, there is no reason for her to have a surgery. So they went in with a camera to her lungs and has discovered, two doctors discovered, that God had given Sharina a brand spanking new lung. Hey! So she gets a phone call. Sharina, we need you to go to Los Angeles to the number one pulmonary specialist in the nation. Sharina, spunky little girl she is. She says, Doctor, you already know God gave me a new lung. Why do I need to be checked out by that doctor? Because, Serena, lungs don't just grow out of no place. That's what the doctor told her. So she gets, they pay for her airfare, her rental car, her hotel, and all of her food. They fly her and her mother to Los Angeles. On Sunday night after our service, we're rejoicing. I mean, we're just having a time. So they walk into that doctor's office, the hospital, there in Los Angeles, and when she sees the doctor, the first thing the doctor said, he says, so you're the young lady who thinks God gave her a new lung. Serena says, oh no, doctor, I'm the young lady who God did give a new lung to. The doctor says, we'll see. So he examines her all day on Monday. He examines her all day on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, she goes back in for the results. And as she walks into the hospital, they take her to a 
conference room. And she walks into the conference room where there are 13 other doctors sitting there. <laughs> and staff members. The doc, when Serena and her mother sit down, the doctor starts weeping. And he says, Serena, I've not stopped crying since Monday when I looked at your x-rays. He says, ask my wife. I can't stop crying. Why would Jesus do this for you? Serena says, oh doctor, he didn't do this for me. What do you mean? Well, I could live 27 more years with a lung and a half. What do you mean? He did it for you. <laughs> to show you that he can do it. One doctor spoke up and said, Shereen, I've had migraines for years. I'm on narcotic drugs. Will your Jesus heal me? Shereen laid hands on her, prayed for her. She preached to 13 doctors and staff members. Let me tell you something. Jesus wants us to have revival more than we want to have revival. It's not just happening in Honolulu. If it'll happen for me, it'll happen for you. So I bought a refrigerator, a freezer from a Jewish doctor, retiring, moving to Florida. Her and her husband. My son-in-law is with me. This was a week after the the miracle. We just got word about the 13 doctors. And so I go to pick up this freezer. <laughs> and the doctor is moving out of the house the same time this lady and her husband are moving into the house. And so I'm inside telling this Jewish doctor and a full bird colonel, a retired full bird colonel in the military, about the miracle. Well, my son-in-law is outside telling this Catholic lady and her husband who's standing there drinking a beer about the miracle. And so when we get outside, my son-in-law says, if you know anybody who needs prayer, just come to our church or bring them to our church and hands her a card. She says, oh, I'm Catholic. He says, oh, that's fine, that's fine. If you ever need prayer, I said, well, will you pray for me, she says. She's sitting on the couch. He said, Sure. Can I pray for you right now? Jewish doctor standing right there. Full bird, retired, full bird colonel. Dude standing there with the beer can. She says, I've been on narcotic, narcotic drugs for years. The Jewish doctor said, her mother's my best friend. I'm her physician. I prescribe her medicine. If your Jesus will her, heal her, I believe. The lady stood and could barely stand. And as she stood, she's like this in pain. She's been in pain for years. I thought my son-in-law just kind of gently, just, you know, Jesus touch her. No, that dude. <laughs> Lays his hands on her and the dude starts speaking in other tongues. I'm like, here we go. <laughs> I might as well join him. 
I closed one eye and left the other one open so I could see what that Jewish doctor was doing. He's talking in tongues. I'm watching that Jewish doctor trying to pay attention, you know. And all of a sudden, that lady starts going. And she's crying. That Jewish doctor threw her hands up in the air and said, I'm next. We laid hands on her. God healed the Jewish doctor as well. Hey, God's going to do it here. I said, God's going to do it here. I've taken enough of your time, but I want to close with this. I want to close with this. Somebody better come to the keyboard. Tickle those keys so I don't forget I'm closing. Look at somebody and say, if he can teach a Bible study, I can teach a Bible study. Look at somebody and tell him, if, if he can teach a Bible study, anybody can teach. Point at me. Point at me. I just want you to know something. I have severe dyslexia. I didn't learn to read till I was 16 years old. I wrote my very first letter when I was 50. Most people don't know that. I was humiliated in school, put in a mental hospital to find out I have severe dyslexia. Today we drove past the street or the road where the lady who taught me to read. If I can teach a Bible study, anybody can teach a Bible study. Humiliated in school. Stood in front of the class and teacher would say, you cheated because I couldn't write on the board the answer. Humiliated. I taught a Japanese girl Chinese out of a Chinese Bible. I've taught deaf people Bible studies. There's never been a language that I've come across that I've had an opportunity to teach a Bible study in that I've not taught a Bible study. And most of them I've baptized in Jesus' name and seen them filled with the Holy Ghost. We're standing at conference on the platform. Two Filipino ladies were standing in front of my wife and I. Both of them turned around and saw me and started crying. I know I'm ugly. I did't know I was that ugly. They start crying and said, Oh, pastor, pastor, do you remember us? And I said, I'm sorry, I do not. They said, we were in Hong Kong and we stepped off the bus and we saw you. You taught us a Bible study, baptized us in Jesus' name. Now, me and my husband, her and her husband, and our families are starting churches in Canada. <laughs> Have no business going the places I've been. I have no business being in the state capitol praying with the lieutenant governor and praying at the governor's ball, blessing the governor. Hillbilly from Brown County who can't read and can't write. And you think you got an excuse? Every time I go to talk to somebody, I'm intimidated. And I have the fear of being humiliated and embarrassed. And what am I going to say that could make a difference? 
insignificant and feel like I don't want to be humiliated ever again. But when I'm praying for people, you see the difference is a key. This is the key. Jesus looked at the multitude and was moved with compassion. And he spoke to his disciples. He said the the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Next words. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. The end of the chapter. Chapter 9 ends. Chapter 10 begins. And when he gathered his disciples together again, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out. Over all manner of sickness and diseases. Some prayer they prayed caused them to be able to step from chapter 9 into chapter 10 where the miraculous began to take place. Where it changed from one man preaching the gospel to 12. So I searched to try to find the scripture. What is the scripture? Where is the prayer? What did they say in prayer? I couldn't find it. So I did a little word study. And the word study for the word prayer. How many want to know what the word prayer means in the Greek? Not every place, but in this place. Specifically. This is what it means. To nail or attach to beg To bind oneself to. Bind yourself. Nail yourself to the Lord of the harvest. Attach yourself to the Lord of the harvest. Wherever He goes, you're going to go. Wherever He touches, you're going to touch. Why? Because you're bound to Him. Wherever He's working, you're going to be working. you got to nail yourself to this thing. Regardless of the humiliation and the embarrassment. And when you're nailed to it, when He's moved with compassion, you're moved with compassion. 80% of the people I've taught Bible studies to in Starbucks have approached me. Do you hear that? That removes all of my intimidation. Because I'm nailed to this thing. I'm committed. You see, our concept of prayer is bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. His concept of prayer is nail yourself to me and we'll make a difference. We say, Jesus, here's my son. Would you save him? He says, what are you going to do to see him saved? Where's the price you're going to pay? What sacrifice are you going to make? Where are you going? Are you willing to go out of your way? Are you willing to fall asleep in the harvest? Are you willing to get weary and tired? Are you willing to go pick somebody up? Are you willing to get in a gutter and pray for somebody? How far will you go? Now, one more time, point your finger at me. Everybody point your finger at me. 
and you say, he can teach a Bible study. I can teach a Bible study. Took me three weeks to write that first letter. Oh, I had spoken letters to secretaries. But this time, my secretary, she couldn't write the letter. It was a confidential letter. She couldn't know about it. Three weeks to write that letter. How long does it take you to pass a driver's test? You probably passed on your first try. It was about my fifth try. You probably was in there 20 minutes. It took me two hours and I'd sit there and sweat and cry because I couldn't come with the answers. If he could teach a Bible study, anybody. I read my Bible upside down. Yeah, it's difficult sometimes. But it's great for soul winning. Because if you only got one Bible, I can read it while he's reading it. I'm not kidding. Wisdom hath builded her a house. That's all upside down. I read it upside down. I know, I know. You don't have to be a wordsmith. All you got to do is nail yourself to the Lord of the harvest. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I believe your pastor has a vision. I believe your pastor's family has a vision. Who wants to nail yourself to the Lord of the harvest to see that vision accomplished? If you feel that way, would you join me in this altar area? He didn't have any idea what I was going to do tonight. I wanted to preach on faith, but this is what the direction God gave me to go. How old are you, young man? Twelve? How old are you? My daughter was younger than both of you when she taught that Bible study. And that 12-year-old, 10-year-old girl received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to wait till you're 92 years old to do something for Jesus. You start now. You're not the church of tomorrow. If an 8-year-old, how old are you? 10? If an 8-year-old, how old are you? You're an old man. Are you married yet? I'm just checking. If an eight-year-old king can turn a nation around, how about these young men, these young lads? I'm telling you, I saw this, these, these guys on the front row tonight worshiping and praying. Their mind was all focused on Jesus. Get our eyes on the harvest and attach ourselves to the Lord of the harvest. Let's see the vision that He sees and make it happen. There is no language barrier. Came too late to tell me. But they speak Spanish. I started my first Spanish church in Omaha and I didn't speak Spanish. 
took an English Bible and a Spanish Bible side by side. I was 26 years old. I don't know. I still wet behind the ears. I taught Veronica a Bible study, baptized Veronica in Jesus' name. She began to interpret for me. We won several like that. Then God told me to go knock on an empty, on an empty Spanish Assembly of God church building. And I felt like a nut, but I'm standing there knocking on a church building that is closed. Everybody, somebody walked by. I stopped knocking. <laughs> That's ridiculous, knocking on an empty church. They'd get past me. Probably 15 minutes I stood there because God told me to stand there and knock on that door. I knocked on that door. I don't know, maybe God raised this lady from the dead. She's so old. She came to the door. Here comes this old Mexican lady. She walks up. She don't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. Somehow I got across to her that I was a pastor. I think that's what she understood. And she starts crying. And she ran and made a phone call. And she said, come, come, come. So I go into the empty church building. She makes a phone call to her son. Her son gets me on the phone and he barely speaks English and he says, we have lost our pastor. He left us. He took our money. We have no pastor. He said, wait and I will be there. So that lady starts walking in that sanctuary speaking in other tongues and crying. I thought, well, I'll walk with her speaking other tongues and cry too. So I walked, spoke in tongues and cried. They came to our service on, well, actually, he asked me, will you preach on Friday night? I said, sure. So they opened the church, cleaned the church. I brought my Spanish interpreter. I preached in Jesus' name at the Spanish church. They came Sunday night. He stood in my pulpit and said, we want your pastor to be our pastor. And we started a Spanish church in Little Mexico in Omaha. Look at someone and say, if he can do it. Come on, point at me and say, if he can do it. I can do it. Would you lift your hands right where you're standing? Excuses go out the window when you're nailed to to the Lord of the harvest. When you're committed to it. Come on, you want to be a soul winner? It's easy. Just attach yourself to the Lord of the harvest. You want to make a difference? Lay down what you want. Pick up what he wants. Come on, will you make a commitment tonight? Make a commitment tonight. God's going to use you. You lay hands on them and they'll recover. Why? Because it's Jesus laying his hands on them. You're going to pray in the Holy Ghost for them and miracles are going to come. You're going to teach them a Bible study and they're going to receive the Holy Ghost because you're nailed to the harvest. You're committed to it. Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. We got to get out of our lazy boy chairs. We got to get out of our comfortable lifestyle and into the harvest. You can make a difference.
Reach over to somebody, lay your hand on their shoulder. Pray one with another right now. But I'm a nobody. But I don't have what it takes. I don't have a silver tongue. All those excuses go out the window. You're a soul winner. Become a staff in the hand of the master. Come on, become a staff in the hand of the master. Pray in the Holy Ghost. <laughs>